ARU comes from our listeners and from Walls Dairyport. Over 65 years of ice cream artistry. Main Street, Bucksport. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online at WERU.org. Democracy Forum with your host Ann Luther is up next. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this month's edition of the Democracy Forum. This is the seventh program in our series this year to broadcast at this time on the third Friday of each month. We're featuring topics in Maine's participatory democracy, encouraging citizens to take an active role in government and politics. This program is a project of the League of Women Voters Down East, produced in cooperation with WERU-FM. Our conversation today is about town government, take two. The listeners have spoken. We had a very engaging conversation last month on town meeting. This month, backed by popular demand, we'll talk more about practicing politics and democracy at the most personal level in local government. What are the characteristics of the towns that have the most civic participation? How can community members help create a culture of inclusion and civic engagement in their own towns? What can go right? What can go wrong? We'll be taking your calls during the second half of this show, so stand by to join the conversation. This is Ann Luther from the League of Women Voters of Maine. I'll be your host for the Democracy Forum this morning. Let me introduce our guests. Uh, Joining us by phone again today is Susan Clark. Susan is a writer, educator, and facilitator focusing on community sustainability and citizen participation. She's the co-author of Slow Democracy, Rediscovering Community, Bringing Decision-Making Back Home. She serves as town moderator in Middlesex, Vermont, and she's joining us from her home in Vermont. Good morning, Susan. Good morning. Glad to have you back with us today. Happy to be here. Joining us here in the studio again this month is Dick Thompson. Dick is an experienced moderator for the towns of Palermo, China, Vassalboro, and others. Dick conducts moderator training for the Maine Municipal Association. Um, He's seen it all. Welcome back, Dick. It's a pleasure to be here, Ann. Thank you. Good morning, Susan. Bucksport Town Manager Susan Lassard had hoped to be with us this morning, but a family situation... um, has kept her away, so she won't be with us after all. We will persevere with these two engaging um, experts. When um, national and sometimes even state politics is becoming toxically partisan and increasingly frustrating, many of us are turning to political engagement in our own communities as a way to have effect on the public policies that we care most about. Last month's show on town meeting elicited some very engaged listener calls, so today we'll have a chance to continue that conversation about practicing democracy in our local cities, towns, and neighborhoods. Susan, let me put it to you first, because you've done research over a period of time on this. Is local activism the new frontier for civic engagement? Are people finding renewed interest in local politics as a way of regaining a democracy that may seem lost at the national level? Or is partisan politics and the toxicity of the political environment turning people away from engagement locally? What do you think? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, I have to say probably a little of both. Um, um, or maybe I should say a lot of both. But um, I would definitely say that there is a renewed uh, interest in local um, democracy. And, you know, you mentioned uh, it, it, it's true. Polling shows that we trust our national government least, our state government a, a bit more, and our local government most. So 
people are very interested in getting engaged uh, locally. And it's, uh, you know, it's not just this sort of old-fashioned rural agrarian uh, notion. It's, it's very much in keeping with, you know, postmodern democratic sensibilities where our expectations of citizenship have changed, especially since the Internet, where, you know, millennials and any generation who grew up with the Internet uh, is, is, is used to self-organizing. They expect to be included in decisions. They prefer, you know, non-hierarchical systems, uh, and they... Uh, they expect to be included. So um, it's a good fit with this, with this old tradition that we have of town meeting. Susan, we are, uh, again this month, I'm sorry to say, having a little bit of trouble he- hearing you. You're maybe a soft talker by nature, but um, you're going to have to speak as directly into the phone as you can so that we can hear, right. hear you super clear. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, so that's interesting, Dick. What do, what do you think about the mix of uh, local politics, national politics, state politics, voter participation, and where people choose to put their energies. Most importantly, local politics is reachable. You know the people. There's a greater sense of trust. I think that is something that uh, would lend itself uh, to draw people in to participate. I think younger folks uh, may find it easier to participate locally, particularly if they can have friends join them at different things. When there's an, an issue... Uh, that is particularly relevant and important. And so you'll see uh, groups of students or groups of uh, uh, millennials go and participate uh, in their first real real approach. I have grandkids and uh, two that were just uh, eligible to vote uh, a year ago, and they couldn't wait to uh, sign up. But the issues that drew them were more local than national. Is that right? I mean, here in Hancock County, we've seen a lot of local action on very um, sort of hot-button issues. We've seen local food control. We've seen plastics. We've seen climate change issues. Um, You know, we were seeing things about development versus not development versus fish farms versus no fish farms. I mean, these things have all been very hotly contested at at the local level. Um, Is that, uh, again, Susan, is that a trend that you're seeing in your research across the board? Uh, Yes, definitely. We um, touched on quite a a number of those issues that you talked about in our book, Slow Democracy. We looked at, you know, sort of what's happening locally. And I think that... um, People are, as you mentioned, frustrated with what's happening. Uh, they, they don't see the kind of action that they want at the national level. Um, and so some of those things like food sovereignty, uh, plastics, these are things that we can, um, <laughs> even if we don't have a global impact, we can have an impact. Um, and then, you know, I think a lot of people see the, the connection of, of taking many small uh, places and, and um, connecting them together, and it, and it creates a you know, a, a bigger impact. So, I mean, sort of um, the theory of emergent change, that the change pops up in many different places, and, and pretty soon it's a trend. So when people are practicing uh, politics locally on an issue like um, climate change or plastics, which would, uh, you know, just be completely gridlocked at the national level, um, do they find the same partisanship in their local conversations? Did things break down in the same diametrical way at, in local conversations that they do nationally? I think what we see is that it depends on um, whether the issue has sort of been named and framed um, by um, partisan groups um, or not. 
um, because uh, if, if it has already, um, and if it, you know, sort of it's a big national issue and you want to take uh, action at the local level, um, sometimes that can have um, uh, sort of people sort of look at it and, and, and think that they understand it already because they've, they've seen it you know, framed elsewhere and they sort of take a shortcut to their answer. But many times with local issues, um, it's something very specific. You know, it, it might be tied to bigger issues, but it, it's something very specific to a place. And so people look at it with the, the fresh eyes of a of a neighbor, you know. And when we look at things that way, um, <laughs> there's brain science that shows that we can um, take in new information better. We can um, understand each other better and sort of, you know, not go with stereotypes you know, learn faster and um, come to uh, conclusions uh, that, you know, act- actionable conclusions better. So um, as long as we can keep the, the issue um, fresh and local, you know, what does it mean to me as a, as a person in this town? Um, it actually, the, the, the answers do come forward better. Well, are you seeing examples of that in your practice, Dick? Uh, I am, although I think that there's a couple of things that impact um, the involvement, engagement of whether or not um, uh, investment from out-of-state firms into trying to m- uh, move a particular um, subject matter one direction or another, or lobbying, if you will. Um, and that's social media. Social media is sort of the leveling platform. It's low cost to get into and can be used in a way to uh, really inform a broad set of uh, of uh, participants. It also can be used um, sometimes to misinform or at least to to cloud the issue. Um, And so I think that activism that we see on either side um, is something that we need to to help encourage that there is a strong and and, uh, reasonable debate about the various issues, and the plastics is uh, is one that uh, I've seen. I live very very close to Waterville. I saw there was quite a bit of debate there, and even challenges that went well beyond just the issue as to whether or not plastics uh, bags would be used, but also who could vote, who couldn't vote. Uh, it was it was quite con- contentious over time, huh. and there was a th- uh, concern that uh, there was. Um, uh, investment by one group or another outside of Maine to help uh, spur that along. Certainly we saw a, a, an example of that in Nashville when they tried to run a big um, public transportation mm-hmm. question on their bond, and there was a lot of national money that went in to, to defeat that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some of our little Maine towns may not have the Koch brothers investing in our outcomes, but we do have um, influences, let's say. What about that? Susan, are you seeing more national groups taking an interest in local politics, or is it still pretty local? Um, it varies from issue to issue. I mean, certain, certainly on, on bigger issues, something like, you know, fracking in Pennsylvania, you know, um, there would be huge, uh, you know, national and even international uh, impact. Um, but um, on I think that one of the one of the tricks, you know, looking at it as you know, sort of a, from a political science perspective, um, activists like the idea of state and national issues because they can get a lot done in one fell swoop. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is um, that in terms of um, engagement, um, scale um, is really really important um, to people's um, level of trust and engagement, and that's where um, a tool like town meeting. Um, is is 
so important, and it's it's actually being seen as a model that that um, other uh, people can look at, even if, we, if even if they don't have town meetings. Let's look at how we can make decisions locally and in a face-to-face deliberative way. Because uh, you know, boy, Dick is sure right about social media. Things can get crazy quickly when it's an anonymous uh, platform. But when you're standing in the same room with a neighbor talking about something that's going to impact your town, you know, very specifically, um, uh, and you do it in a, uh, a moderated fashion, you know, where people are safe to say the things that they feel and know that there's not going to just be a sort of, you know, crowd rule, but, you know, truly with, with some, you know, good facilitation, um, we, can, we can find uh, solutions better at that scale. I think it's a human scale. It's interesting about the human scale and the social media, which cut, cuts both ways, I guess. Um, one of our Hancock County towns, Bar Harbor, is experimenting with a tool called Polco, which is a way of engaging towns in Internet polling to help citizens be aware of the issues that are coming before their select board and then helping turn people out for town meeting. But I think we also see, as you were talking, that social media in an anonymous environment can also be a polarizing influence. And this is all going on in an environment where local print media coverage of affairs, local affairs is probably on the wane. So, I mean, let's explore that about social media a little bit more, Dick. Is that a factor in your the towns that you moderate? It, it seems to be. Um, information is passed along f- through one um, uh, format or another, and um, it get ba- gets back to trust. When you're looking at your neighbor, as uh, Susan described, uh, across an aisle or uh, in the, a few seats over, or sitting at the dais as a, a, a town leader, um, you can uh, you can gauge their um, trustworthiness, I suppose, but you also have this uh, sense of moderation or civility uh, when you're dealing. That doesn't mean some people don't get angry. They do. But that is a passion around an issue rather than passion fueled by social media um, trolls, if you will. Um, And it doesn't have to be um, a nefarious type thing, but as comments are added, those kind of things, the anonymity of that uh, creates a a, a lack of civility at times. Uh, I like the idea of being able to talk to somebody directly about it. That is most easily done at the local level. It's most easily done by getting involved before you get to town meeting and then going to town meeting to activate, uh, to be to be an activist for the issues that are most important to you. Do you want to comment on that, Susan? Social media, force for good, force for ill. I mean, and in, even in a small town without a lot of print media coverage, how do people become and maintain awareness about what the issues are that are being discussed by their select board or at town meeting? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think technology is a, you know, it's a tool. It can, like a hammer, you know, it can be used to build things or to tear things down. And uh, I think that um, certainly technology plays a role in getting information out. And uh, we know that, um, you know, a a town meeting is going to be better if people come informed, if they've read the town report or if they've, you know, been seeing reliable, balanced information, you know, um, that was distributed, you know, by any technological tool. But um, I think that the, the, the 
real strength that we bring to these conversations locally is that, you know, as, as Dick said, um, the person that, uh, you know, who's, who's representing one issue or another in my town, there's a pretty good chance I'm also going to know that person because, you know, she and I carpool together to soccer. You practice with our kids or he and I are on the, uh, you know, the fast squad or the, the you know, fighting fires together or i've pulled you out of a ditch or i you know you bought my canoe last week or you know there are things that we know about each other that don't have to do with the issue that build you know what sociologists call social capital it's a web of trust uh and neighborliness um and it allows us to break down those sort of stereotypes and so if this person that i that i have a relationship with turns around and says something that I consider to be wrong about, you know, an, a local issue, um, my brain is more likely to say, where's that person coming from? How, uh, why, is, why, does, why is that right for them? Let me think about this, rather than just, boom, shut the door. Yeah. Um, and it, it allows us to find solutions. You're tuned to the Democracy Forum this morning on WERU-FM. This is Ann Luther from the League of Women Voters of Maine. Our topic today is Town Government Take Two. Our guests are Susan Clark. She's the co-author of Slow Democracy, Rediscovering Community, Bringing Decision-Making Back Home. She serves as town moderator in Middlesex, Vermont. And also with us is Dick Thompson, an experienced moderator for the towns of Palermo, China, Vassalboro, and a few others. Dick conducts moderator training for the Maine Municipal Association. We were talking about the... um, double-edged sword of social media and how citizen engagement um, well I don't need to summarize all of what you said but how citizen engagement is more personal when it's done face-to-face than when it's done electronically um, or at the national or state level so it, it seems like there are a lot of advantages to involvement in politics at the local level and a way to have um, a more direct impact on public policy by doing that. In the towns that do it right how do citizens stay aware and become informed? I mean, do towns have listservs, websites? We talked about Polco a minute ago. What are some of the best practices in the towns that are successful at engaging a lot of citizens in direct decision-making? Susan, you want to? Yeah. Um, you know, there are some terrific ways that people are um, finding to, to do this. And, you know, what, there are a number of states now um, have... Um, local community-based uh, listservs. Um, for all of the Vermont towns have something called Front Porch Forum, um, which, again, it's, but, but there are other um, tools that, that people are using. And um, they're just um, everybody in the town who has email can be on this listserv. And um, it's usually where people, you know, post that they, lo- you know, their cat is lost or they're selling, a, you know, their, their kayak or, you know, um, those kinds of things. Do you know a good plumber? Um, but it's also where the select board can say, you know, there's a hearing coming up or, you know, here's a here's here's make sure to go to the town website because there's some information about a, an issue. Um, and those kinds of things can be really useful. Um, uh, more towns are using uh, and I remember we mentioned this last time um, we spoke uh, how important it is that town meetings only one one day a year, and the other 364 days are also very important um, for towns. It was never town meeting was never intended to be the only uh, time we get together. Um, so uh, ha- having informational meetings, um, field trips, 
uh, is a you know not just the seven o'clock you know meeting with the table in the front and the rows in the back of chairs, but you know we can use other formats um, to you know if, if there's a town forest issue, let's go to the town forest. Um, you can use slides as well to bring the the place to the people, um, uh, and um, m more interactive style sitting at um, you know small groups and tables and discussing discussing issues. We're using more and more of these tools now. Uh, you know, business sort of figured it out first that there are different ways to have discussions than than just getting lectured at. Um, and uh, the government community is picking it up. But I'll tell you, just a quick story. When I did interviews for the book I wrote about town meeting, um, when I went around to a bunch of the towns in Vermont that had the best town meeting participation, and I remember going to a little tiny town in the northeastern Vermont. They had such terrific participation, and I asked the town clerk, and I figured there must be some way that they that they get information out because they had such great participation. I said, do you have a newsletter? Do you have a website? And the town clerk, you know, I said, she, I said, what, do people get together at the general store? And she said, no, we don't have a store. And I was like, well, the post office? Do you gather at the post office? She said, no, we do not have a post office. I said, where do people get their news? And she said, oh, yeah, the dumpster. Oh. People go... <laughs> People go to the dumpster to talk about everything. It's absolutely where information is traded. You know, she said the school board will go there for a few weeks before a town meeting vote every Saturday, eight to noon, every Sunday, eleven to four. You know, she said if anyone ever wants to have a revolution, you got to hit all the dumpsters. So I think there is a New England tradition of, of knowing where the good gossip is and where the good information is. It, it's so funny. I've heard that said before. I, I a candidate for the state senate that I know of collected all his petitions at the town dump. <laughs> so right. I see you nodding. Dick. Go ahead. It, it is multimodal for sure. And and by having multiple ways to communicate with people, that will draw in uh, younger folks. And it may be having your own uh, social media um, uh, site of one sort or another and regularly using that, making it relevant and keeping it relevant. If it gets stale, people won't go. But it's not just uh, the um, um, transfer station or the, the dump. I, I absolutely love that one. But it's uh, the, the fire department fundraiser mm -hmm. or the community day that uh, many main communities have. We have a community day, and there's a, a few booths available, and they have one or two. And as you're walking through as a citizen, you stop at every one. These are your neighbors, and you're talking to them. And you can really find out in the summer what's going to happen in the fall related to elections or coming up with the budget because those things start so early. So uh, it's multimodal. Got to find different ways to get that information out and really be sensitive to what's happening with the community. What draws people out that's not related to government and use that as a mechanism to have good conversations. It's interesting that you mentioned that because one of the examples that we wanted to talk about today is a town called Hope, Maine, mm -hmm. which consistently ranks in the top five, sometimes top one or two in mm -hmm. terms of voter turnout. And um, they credit the secret to their success is on election day, they have like a little mini fair. Like as you're exiting the voting place, there's the historical society, there's the craft table, there's the bake sale, you know, all this stuff. And, and probably so, free food, too. <laughs> so, I mean, they've really created an environment around um, elections. And I think you're both talking about taking that one day 
example and making it stretch out across the uh, political calendar, right? Absolutely, yeah. Terrific idea. I, I love that idea, and um, a lot of towns in Vermont do that on uh, town meeting day as well, although you have to be careful uh, not to um, stumble into electioneering. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> can't have somebody have to run the gamut of candidates or, or of issues before they get in, but if it's the if it's the you know the community groups and whatnot that you that you're walking through, um, it just it's it's a draw. It makes people remember you know what community is and, and why they're there. Go ahead, did I, Dick. I see you nodding too. Uh, I just uh, think that's a, a mechanism that really works. Um, you have a broad, diverse group of people coming uh, for a variety of different reasons. They take advantage of really good weather, and really the summer is not the highly uh, sensitive, highly active time. Uh, and so the, um, the, sens- the sensitivity, the civility is better at mm-hmm. that point than it is sometimes when you're right up against the issue and we're voting and we see signs or ads or those kind of things. You can tell when there's a real issue going on, though, be, uh, particularly as you run up to various votes or town meetings. You'll start to see the handmade signs, and you'll see the one that is in favor and the one that is opposed to uh, significant issues. Yep. And so you you can gauge it. Be, be engaged. Um, we're uh, t- talking about local politics, and we'll do a station break in a minute, but I wanted to um, talk about a little bit about the towns that have this culture and the towns that don't have this culture. And, um, you know, if you're in a town that doesn't have it, how do you get that started? Um, what are the characteristics of towns that have an inclusive culture? Um, what, what do you think? Do you have any research on that, Susan? I do, yes. We can talk about uh, it. Questions about social capital and how you build it and, and how easy it is to destroy. Jump right in, please do. Yeah. Um, well, uh, it, uh, there, there was very important research that was done um, at Harvard um, by Robert Putnam um, in a book called Bowling Alone. Some of your listeners will have heard uh, about it um, and when it came out. Um, and, you know, we really see that it's a, it's a this thing that, again, called social capital. It, if you think about it as capital, you can, um, it, it, again, trust, neighborliness, reciprocity, you know, would I pull you out of a ditch if I saw you when I was driving home and, you know, you'd driven into a snowbank, even if I didn't know you? Well, I mean, we in New England would say, of course, of course I would. That, that, but that, that's, that's because we have a pretty strong social capital here uh, in the Northeast um, and uh, towns that are states that, that practice uh, town meeting actually have um, very strong social capital. And we can't say uh, causation, but there's a strong correlation. Um, when we get together year in and year out, um, oftentimes for, um, you know, for decision making, but also in between for all of those reasons that we talked about, whether it's town fairs or, you know, in the olden days, it was barn raising, um, and get to know each other at multiple levels. Uh, we are able to find solutions together better because of that web of trust and, and um, uh, uh, neighborliness. And it, that, and you can bank it. It's, it's like, like capital. Um, you know, you have the potluck. You have the, um, uh, you know, collaborative working projects. We all get together to insulate the town hall, you know, whatever it is. Um, and those are non-controversial. And then when the controversy comes, whether it's a you know whatever tough issue comes along, um, 
we have we have banked some of that some of that that social capital that trust and we can draw on it in those hard times when we have to have difficult conversations where we where we do disagree and we have to we have to draw from that 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 well of of, of patience and uh, you know willingness to hear things we don't like to hear. So um, so. Good, good uh, science on it. Go ahead. I was just going to say, in in a rural state like Maine, and I guess probably like Vermont, I wonder how much of that social capital is built up around um, local school districts, and whether some of this doesn't start in the school board. And in Maine, as school consolidation has been one of our most contentious issues, and towns hate to lose their school, is it because it is an erosion of social capital. What do you think, Dick? I think the erosion of social capital may be part of it. I think just that local control, that sense that we can impact what happens to our children as they're going through and, and as they grow up, um, and there, that it creates uh, a challenge for those folks that are that have kids in the school versus those that are paying for it who uh, whose children have graduated and 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 moved on or their grandparents those kind of things it's it's a very complex issue and one that will draw um, emotion uh, through uh, about any uh, significant decision that needs to be made uh, and that's compounded by um, the size of the community the size of the the district um, it's if it's a group of small like communities, their values and their approach to things is the same. Uh, if it's a mixture of small communities and very large ones, anchor uh, communities, if you will, um, it's more difficult. And the ability for a small community to impact what's happening is lessened based on the rubric that's designed to make decisions. It's complicated, and the the solution to all of it is for engagement and participation. Face-to-face. At this point, I think I'd like to invite listeners to join our conversation. You're tuned to the Democracy Forum on WERU. This is Ann Luther from the League of Women Voters of Maine. Our guest this morning on the phone is Susan Clark. She's the co-author of Slow Democracy, Rediscovering Community, Bringing Decision-Making Back Home. She serves as town moderator of Middlesex, Vermont, and is a bit of an expert on the town meeting form of government. And we also have with us here in the studio Dick Thompson, who's an experienced moderator for the towns of Palermo, China, and Vassarboro, Maine, along with several others. Dick conducts moderator training for the Maine Municipal Association, which is a terrific resource for how town government works in Maine. Our topic today is Town Government Take Two. If you have a question or comment, you can join our conversation anytime now by calling toll-free 866 625-9378, or if you're local, you can call 469-0500. We have only one listener line open, so be patient if you get a busy signal. If you do get through, please take your answer off the line so that others can also participate, and don't wait until the last minute. Get your call in early. You know, we're talking about the elements of social cohesion, and I think especially in coastal Maine, uh, different from in rural Maine, and these are, you know, like the part of the two Maines thing, but uh, especially in coastal Maine, we sometimes have divisions between from here and from from away, and towns that have a lot of in-migration, people come into town with a different set of values. Are towns successfully negotiating the assimilation of 
new people coming into their town and maintaining cohesion, or is that a fractious issue? What do you think, Dick? <laughs> Two uh, deep waters? or <laughs> they, they are deep waters, and I'd, I'd add another um, uh, variable to that, and that's the part-time resident versus the full-time resident and the impact on of coastal versus non-coastal and the impact on, on um, property taxes. I think it is a... It can be a fractious issue, but in in my mind, those towns with progressive and thoughtful leaders um, tend to uh, be successful versus those that, that maybe aren't or are trying to represent one component because that uh, suits their vision of what the community should be. It's really about giving the uh, citizens in the community the opportunity to be heard and to uh, have an impact on decisions that are made. Susan, how can that go right and how can that go wrong? I mean, we talked about having visionary leadership and inclusive leadership. You know, what if you're in, ta- in a town that doesn't have that? I mean, what if you're a citizen that wants to get engaged in a town with a different kind of leadership? What do you do? Oh, man, yeah. Uh, good question. And, you know, Dick just mentioned, uh, you know, the two key elements, um, opportunities to be uh, to, to make yourself heard, but then also um, opportunities to actually see the impact of, of what you say. So, I mean, you know, we can have public hearings, you know, until, you know, kingdom come, but... Uh, if public hearings, if there is no action based on um, the meaning of the things that people said, basically if leaders don't have the skills to actually listen, change, incorporate, compromise, um, create new solutions, um, you know, not have sort of debate of the A versus B, but let's co-create B, that's a, a deliberative process. Um, that's what we need in order to move forward in these incredibly complicated um, things like school consolidation, which Vermont is also struggling mightily with um, uh, along the same lines that you just mentioned. Um, absolutely heartbreaking and community-destroying uh, the conversations that are happening around that, you know, based on very real issues of, uh, you know, uh, decline in student numbers. So... Um, there are ways that we can improve our, our local governance and, um, uh, you know, trying to suggest that leaders who are maybe less than creative um, go to training um, to learn some of these techniques, bringing in speakers from uh, out of town who might be able to bring some of these tools in. Um, these, these are techniques that, that we can use. I've seen used in some, with some success if uh, it's an activist or, or just a citizen who wants to sort of up the game of uh, engagement in their town, um, can do so in a cooperative way where they really are talking with leaders about how these tools can help the whole community, not just get their issue passed. Um, it can be a good way to start. Can you give some examples of towns that have gotten one thing right and towns that have gotten one big thing wrong like how can it go wrong like I, do they hide the town meeting under the shell and move the shell and the pea around till you can't really find what's going on i mean does that happen we had an example in vermont where um uh they were trying to there were a bunch of superintendents who thought it was a good idea to change the school calendar um, uh, to they, they 
they were concerned about retention rates, kids' retention rates of what they had learned during the school year, and they wanted to expand the school year to make it longer and take some of the summer break um, and uh, take some of those days and, and sprinkle those throughout the school year to make summer break less long. And, you know, in terms of educational uh, uh, theory, um, it made a lot of sense uh, to them, and, and so they created this thing called Calendar 2.0 and uh, uh, just announced it was going to happen, named the year, and said, we'll have some meetings to tell people about it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, within about a week or two, there were, you know, websites and Facebook pages, you know, to the, dedicated to a brand new group called Save Our Summers. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and, you know, parents turned out by the hundreds um, at these meetings to, uh, you know, to protest this plan, uh, it was just a abysmal failure um, because, and, you know, the, the, the superintendents had to just completely withdraw from, from you know, never mind, we're not going to do this, <laughs> we'll, you know, go back to the drawing board. Um, and it, no, there was no chance ever to actually have the conversation about whether it was a good idea or not because um, it had been sort of delivered in this kind of top-down, you know, state accompli, it's, it's done, we've done the research, we know the answer. Um, I think the same solution might have been come to through a different uh, channel where you bring people together and bring out research on both sides, balance. Uh, you know, it's like, here are the pros of changing the calendar. Here are some of the cons. What do you think? What are some ways we could move forward with it? Um, and uh, that, that discussion might have had a very different outcome. What about you, Dick? Have you got exemplary? Um, exemplary? Uh, I think every town that I serve have done things that are... Um, have been effective. Palermo and China, for instance, now collaborate on um, the transfer station and share the costs of that. Uh, the Palermo had a, a good relationship with a different group, um, and uh, after years of working, and by the way, it was a, it was a, a very contentious issue for years, and yet now they're together and they're, um, the cost advantages that they get are helping both. That really makes sense. They found a way to work together, and that's good. And that's based on the leadership and engaged citizens. I can't say enough that if you're passionate about something, you need to get involved. And uh, almost don't take no for an answer. No, I want to contribute and do something about it. Uh, but I, I think that's an example of how do you work together. It was a second that I would I would compliment. Um, I also moderate a number of uh, RSU uh, budget meetings. And those can be contentious. And uh, uh, one particular one I started with, uh, AOS 92, which no longer exists, but it uh, uh, was uh, three towns in central Maine. One town in the first year really took it on the chin uh, in the cost-sharing uh, parts, and the other two really had uh, a windfall, if you will. And it created a lot of contention. And thanks to leadership and real engagement by all three towns, they came up with a cost-sharing mechanism that all three were able to benefit, and that lasted them nearly 10 years to a point where they got, um, they are able to work together without having that agreement in place and voted to separate. So uh, it gave them a little bit more local control but maintained that cost effectiveness that they had developed. That's really smart. They were careful in how they designed it. They, they brought a lot of people together to make it happen, and those places are really well run. 
bringing a lot of people together to make it happen seems to be the message that you're both delivering on this topic today. Is that it, Susan? Yes. But, you know, there's a terrific um, a story about Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I'm sure most of your uh, you know, listeners have been to Portsmouth, but they may not be aware that, <laughs> that Portsmouth, New Hampshire is the center of deliberative democracy. There are political scientists from around the world who have, who have come to Portsmouth to study how they do it. And they have a, um, you know, a process. It's, Portsmouth Listens is, is now a group in, in uh, Portsmouth that actually um, brings people in the community together when necessary um, in a deliberative process called study circles. Um, and um, they've been doing it now for a couple of decades and on really, really tough issues. Uh, school redistricting, race, uh, sustainability issues, environmental issues. Um, they've done two different town planning um, processes uh, involving thousands of people using these um, small group facilitated processes with lots and lots of volunteers involved. Um, they've had help from the University of New Hampshire to, to make it all happen. How did that ever even get started? Well, <laughs> Again, it was schools. Um, they had a, um, a redistricting issue that had been plaguing them for decades. It was, it was after the Pease Air, for, Air Force Base. Can you speak uh, up just a little bit, Susan? Sorry. Sure. Speak, yeah. 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 After the Pease Air Force Base was closed and they, they had a, a, a real discombobulation of, uh, you know, a lot, lots of people left. And it meant that the schools were, um, uh, the populations were um, out of, out of uh, whack. Uh, in the schools, and um, so they were going to have to move students, and, you know, it involved, you know, moving some students to the wrong side of the tracks, and, you know, it just was a political hot potato that got uh, passed on from year to year, and literally they had, you know, one school where they had empty classrooms and another school where kids, you know, were being taught in the broom closets, you know. I mean, it was just terrible, but they couldn't deal with it politically, and so they were desperate, and that's the answer to your question, And They were desperate, <laughs> and they were, they were looking for some way to do this and um, had heard about this process called Study Circles. It's created by a group called Everyday Democracy, which any of your listeners could, could Google Everyday Democracy. They are doing terrific work around the nation in dealing with these, you know, what we call wicked issues, difficult ones where you've got values involved and there's not just one right answer. Um, and, uh, you know, we our book is called Slow Democracy because people are frustrated. They say, oh, you know, I don't want to go and have lots and lots of meetings. Um, that takes too long. But the truth is, in this six-meeting study circle process that they did that first time in Portsmouth, um, you know, within about six months, they had come to a solution that had been to a problem that had been plaguing them for for ten years, yeah. um, because they involved lots and lots of people, you know, with diversity, age and gender and socioeconomic diversity, old timers and newcomers, like you mentioned. Um, and had a small group process where they, they were facilitated to really look at the values underneath rather than just fight about, you know, should it be answer A or answer B? Let's, let's unpack this a little and talk about the values that we want to make sure are embedded in the answer. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, craft a solution that really does um, include all of our values. Um, so ultimately, they, they've been able to move forward with this. Thanks, Susan. You're just a little station break here. You're tuned to the Democracy Forum on WERUFM. This is Ann Luther from the League of Women Voters of Maine. 
Our guests this morning are Susan Clark, co-author of Slow Democracy, Rediscovering Community, Bringing Decision-Making Back Home. She serves as town moderator in Middlesex, Vermont, and we also have with us Dick Thompson, an experienced moderator for the towns of Palermo, China, Vassalboro, and others. Dick conducts moderator training for the Maine Municipal Association. We're accepting listener calls right now. We've got time for a couple. If you um, want to call in with your question or comment, it's 866-625-9378 or 469-0500 if, we're, if you're calling locally. Um, our topic today is town government. Take two. If you have a question or, or, or a comment, call in now. Again, that's 866-625-9378 or 469-0500. We have only one listener line open, so be patient. If you do get through, um, please take your answer off the line so that others can participate. Don't wait till the last minute because we're almost there. If you have a call, now is your time. I'm talking about this is like a nonpartisan environment. You know, most local government is not Republican or Democrat, but... You know, Susan was talking a minute ago about the values that people bring to it. And, you know, some of those values as they're reflected in the major parties are sort of, I don't know what they are, universal values that show up in personalities even at the local level. So if we're not calling them conservative or liberal or Republican or Democrat, I mean, some of the same values show up, right? How do we, I mean, is that stuff less apparent or less divisive when you're talking in a high social capital environment like local, or is it still is that still the fault line? Well, my experience, Ann, is that uh, uh, you don't talk about R and D or conservative or, or uh, liberal, but you can see that um, people will take a position that is uh, um, certainly more conservative or, or um, more risk <laughs> risk. Uh, interested in risk or willing to take risk uh, around various issues. Um, I think it is the issue, though, that drives that more than it typically does. Um, it's not a badge people wear. It is, a, it is an issue-by-issue issue approach to a particular topic. And then they can get quite uh, invested in it and willing to hold that as a, and hold tightly to it until convinced otherwise. I think the local government format gives you the best option to convince somebody who is held really tightly one side or the other to moderate their position. I, I really enjoyed what uh, Susan said about reaching a collaborative solution. It is easiest at the local level. We're seeing that play out at the, the state, maybe not so much the state as we see it at the the. Uh, national level. We can't seem to collaborate on almost anything. It's true. So you're both making local politics sound pretty interesting and engaging. If I'm somebody who's never participated in local government and maybe I don't even have any social capital in my town, what's a good first step for me to take to get into the um, the local politics scene? Susan, what would you recommend to a newbie? What would be the first um, endeavor that somebody might take? Well, I'd probably um, certainly listen. I'd, I'd spend a lot of time listening um, uh, to sort of learn the lay of the land and, and get to know some of the personalities. Um, I would, um, you, you know, most select board meetings, planning commission meetings are open to the public, uh, school board meetings. And um, I would go to 
those meetings. Uh, check out what's on the on the agenda to see if it, it looks like an interesting one. Um, introduce myself, get there a little early, and then introduce myself so that um, the local leaders would not uh, would not just sit there and wonder why you were skulking, <laughs> but instead sort of say, hey, you know, I'm interested in, in this topic and just thought I'd listen, be friendly, um, and uh, ask ask good questions uh, when appropriate. I I think uh, I like what uh, Susan has said, but I think you need to volunteer. Make contact with uh, the town leaders Great or the point. town office. Volunteer for an hour or two a month, just participating on one committee. You will learn a great deal about how things work, and then you m- use that to impact the kind of things that are important to you. But for that hour or two, whether it's on the on uh, a committee or more than an hour or two if you volunteer for the local fire department or, or rescue service or, or some other group that's doing something in town. Once you volunteer, you expand your group of, uh, of knowledgeable friends, it, it works. And that's, that's how I got involved. It was about the fire department when I started and right through into having a role as a select person, been on budget committees all over the place. It's because I enjoyed it and because I became knowledgeable enough to participate uh, reasonably. How many committees? That's a great point. I was just going to say, how many committees do these towns have? And, like, where's a good entry point for a newbie, Susan? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, I I think um, look inside inside your, your heart and ask yourself, what do I bring to the table? What do I enjoy? Am I a person like Dick who's interested in things that are, you know, it sounds sound like a practical guy, Dick. Maybe you're interested in, um, you know, fire uh, issues, um, maybe interested in, um, you know, some of the construction issues that are around. Am I a person who's just super organized and maybe I could um, help at the library organizing things? Am I a person who um, can do research and maybe might be able to write a grant? Am I an outdoorsy person who would rather be identifying birds because maybe the Conservation Commission, uh, uh, you know, would, would like my help? So it, it shouldn't be try, – try to get it to be a match with your personal gifts and, and styles and passion. Um, and oftentimes it's something different from what you do for work because so it won't feel like a, you know, busting a holiday. Um, but there's – our small communities. There are so many different ways um, that that you can that you can help. There are many many different committees. Does it so- seem like most of these little towns have openings on most of their committees? One of the places you can volunteer is uh, during uh, for voting, uh, and and on uh, the election day, uh, helping with counts, helping uh, uh, with setup or take down. Any one of those things would get you involved and, and feel good about it. Um, and some committees are more formal than others. If there's a TIF committee or something like that, you can get involved in that. But Susan's What's right. What's a TIF committee? Um, tax increment financing. It's <laughs> a it's a complex thing. But if you're a financial person uh, and you want to find out how things work, that's how investments are made. And that's about as far as I can go with it. But that's what it what it means. Um, and um, there are a lot of different things that happen with formal or even informal committees. And I don't know of a town, ones that go in any particular direction, who turn away volunteers. Susan? I, I completely agree with that. Um, I do think, don't, don't be discouraged if they don't scoop you up the first time you ask. Because there Good is point. a level of trust and um, 
a level of you know sometimes volunteers kind of come in but don't have skills so you, you'll have to you'll have to prove yourself just a little bit you know imagine that uh most most of the town workers are overworked already and so they need to know that you're not going to create more work for them <laughs> um so um, yeah, keep. I would say keep trying. Um, uh, and and uh, once once uh, we get to know each other, we can get along. And and don't try to take over on the first day, even oh, though you have real. Uh, second day. <laughs> yeah, you may have some specific skills that uh, are really valuable to them, but uh, ease your way in um, again. Earn their trust, and then they will trust you. So showing up, earn your trust, wait your turn, volunteer. What other advice have you got? It, it, maybe you're a long-term member of the community that's just never engaged before. How, um, you know, let's talk some more about how to deal with um, town leadership or moving town leadership in a different direction or asking for more town services. Um, how how do you go about negotiating maybe with your town clerk or the chair of your select board to get a little bit more from your town I'm pretty passionate about that. Um, one of the things that uh, my experience in, in town meetings uh, has taught me is there is very little activism prior to uh, the actual town meeting. If you really want to, to have an impact, participate in the budget process, go to the regular meetings or occasionally go to the meetings of the leadership, whether it's a council or board or whatever it is, and participate. Listen, at the public opportunity to speak, you speak. These uh, folks are elected and or appointed, and in either way, they need to have support of the citizens. And so I think the, that's an opportunity for you to get in. And if you're persuasive, you'll make a change. I heard Boy, you. I think that's a, that's a great point. And I would add um, that um, it makes a lot of sense to um, make at least half of the things that you say positive so if you're standing up to criticize something um it also makes sense to talk about what's going right um here are some things that are working in our town that i really appreciate it, um and um not only because interpersonally people like to hear that but it also helps us learn because we as communities do things right and we need to do more of those things it's, a, it's an appreciative inquiry process so name the things that are working as well I mean, you, we've talked a lot about the communities that have social capital, but we're talking now about how social capital is also a personal asset that individual citizens have to work to build for themselves and their community. Um, so I think that's really an important message for us to get across to the people who might be listening who want to take advantage of this um, sort of community activism trend and redirect their efforts locally as opposed to stay at the state or national level. Um, uh, we're running a little bit out of time, and there's probably so much more we could say at this point. But, Dick, I want to just give you a, a minute or two to pontificate for a second. What are your big thoughts about this topic? We've had two conversations about it. What's the takeaway? My takeaway is I learned a great deal from uh, Susan about this. I am encouraged uh, by um, the way uh, local governments are trying to amp up their game and to um, take charge of different issues, making politics, if you will, a little bit local so that uh, decisions can be made and kind of drive a, a, even a larger agenda if that's what needs to happen. 
they do that well, do it in an inclusive way, and that's what I'm seeing, I think that's a good thing. Susan, give us your final words of wisdom here. We've got um, a minute or a minute and a half. Go ahead. Oh, well, I just really appreciated this conversation. I'm deeply inspired by the idea of a moderator who can moderate six different towns. That's just a terrific (laughs) model for me. But, um, you know, I think we hear a lot about the pluses of sort of centralized, you know, decision-making. You know, it's efficient, it's fast, it has experts involved, and, you know, there's uniformity and predictability, and it's easier to manage. But we, I think um, remembering that there uh, is a flip side to this, and that decisions, when we make them locally, they are much more likely to be durable. We get buy-in, we get less pushback, and we and we build trust. Um, and... Uh, we get to customize solutions, you know, framed with local wisdom and, and local values, and and local means local leadership training, which uh, means that um, we are uh, become towns that are full of people who are going to be better in crises, better in emergencies. Um, so uh, it, it ultimately feeds our our democratic republic. You know, we we need lots of small d democrats, people who are able to engage locally. Um, so I think that that's, that's one of the things that I, that I get really inspired about with, with local engagement is that we, we're really strengthening our, our civic body. This conversation over two shows has been inspiring to me. I'm you know, motivated to go home now and build social capital in my own little town and try to make myself a more integral part of, of local government, get some satisfaction that way. It's really been great having you both on the show. We are starting to run out of time here this morning, so I want to take a moment to thank our guests. Again, Susan Clark, co-author of Slow Democracy, Rediscovering Community, Bringing Decision-Making Back Home. She serves as town moderator in Middlesex, Vermont, and um, also with us has been Dick Thompson, an experienced moderator for the towns of Palermo, China, Vassalboro, and others. Dick conducts moder- moderator training for the Maine Municipal Association. I just want to plug the Maine Municipal Association one more time because if you go to their website, there's a wealth of information about town meeting and other aspects of town government that um, are a great resource for people. You've been listening to the Democracy Forum, a project of the League of Women Voters Down East, produced in cooperation with WERU-FM. Thank you to our engineer this morning, Amy Brown at WERU. Thank you to our listeners. Democracy Forum will be taking August off, but tune in at this time on August 16th to hear one of our best shows from the archive. Our website is lwvme.org for more information about this topic or to learn about other shows in our series. You can email us at downeast at lwvme.org. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you in September. You are listening to Community Radio, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, and streaming worldwide at WERU.org. WERU is made possible by the generous support of our listeners. Thank you. Hi, this is Charlie, host of Front Porch Folk and Sunday Morning Coffee House. Did you know that you can donate appreciated securities and support WERU at a lower cost than if you made a cash gift? You avoid paying capital gains taxes and receive a tax deduction for the full value of the gift. 